Today we're going to uh, speak from uh, the uh, letter to Philemon. And uh, if you have your Bibles and you turn to Philemon, that's not a bad thing to do because uh, you'll find that it's, it's, it's really a, a very interesting and worthwhile All scripture is worthwhile, but in this case, it really speaks to the integrity of a person, and it speaks to the fact that we all have to learn how to get along, and most importantly, if we mess up, how many have messed up in a relationship? And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm like Peter, I have my foot in my mouth, I don't know how many times. He's known as the apostle with a foot-shaped mouth, literally. He, I'm there, Lord, I'm going to do this for you, and then boom, it goes wrong. So let's just pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, as we come here to the, the letter to Philemon, we ask that you would open our hearts and you would, Father, just lead us and guide us, and you would teach us today by your spirit. We bind every force of darkness that might come against us to hinder us from seeing and believing the word of God. And we ask, Father, that you lead us and guide us in your word and teach us today, Father, by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You'll find out how hard that book is to find. It's just a you know, page or two and then snack right in the middle of everything else here, Timothy, Titus. Okay. Now, a little bit of the background of Philemon. Paul was in prison, and uh, he, while he was in prison, he met this man uh, named Onesis, who was a slave. At least we think that's where he met him. I'm, I'm positive, in fact, that he did. And he wrote a letter of ever getting to know him. He wrote this letter of intercession from his place in, in the prison in Rome, and this was his uh, first imprisonment to Familian. Familian. He was a co-worker of his, a friend of his that lived in the city of Coloss. Now, Paul had never been to Colossae, Colossium, but uh, he most likely, as I said last week, met him in Ephesus, which was close by, and built a relationship with him. So he led Philemon to the Lord, Philemon became a leader in the church, his house. Uh, he opened his house. The church was in his own home in Colossae. And so the church was held in his, his home. And he was discipled by Paul. And now this letter is a personal appeal to Philemon by Paul to forgive and restore Onemus, who was his runaway slave. He was a slave in the house of Philemon. He ran away, and apparently he stole something. As a runaway for a slave, it's inferred that he robbed his master, fled to Rome. And there he came under the influence of this man, Paul. Paul could have said to him, you're a runaway slave, you're no good. 
don't bother me. But instead, Paul took him under his wing. Paul began to talk to him. And somehow in these conversations, <clears throat> Paul did what we're supposed to do, what Jesus told us to do. He discipled him. And so not only did Philemon come to Jesus, but he changed his life. See, today, that's one of the reasons the church is in the problems that it is today, is that the gospel of salvation, which is you're a sinner, you need salvation, and we go to four spiritual laws, and now Jesus is the only way, and we receive Jesus, and now, good, you're in the kingdom of God. No, you're not in the kingdom of God. You are and you aren't. You've been translated there, but you don't know that yet because the Word of God tells us you don't. It says you're able now to be born again is the only way you can begin to see the kingdom of God, discern that it's there. And that means that you have a whole new life with God. And so what happens is if you just have that gospel of salvation apart from the gospel of the kingdom of God, what we have is a bunch of people that may go to Bible studies, do this, do that, may not even go to church at all, but <clears throat> say, we walk the aisle of the Billy Graham meeting and we're okay. And they're not. And that's the message we give. So nothing more is required of you. Say the prayer, go your way, continue life as you had it, and that's all you need to do. And all of these people that told us to do that and kind of coached us in that way. They were all good people. They all meant well. But they never saw what would be the consequence of simply an evangel evangelistic message in the long run. Nothing wrong with the message, but it needs some discipling. Jesus didn't say, go give them a message. He said, go into all the world making disciples of the people that were there. That's followers of Christ. Not just people that say, oh, yeah, I, I know him now. No, no, followers, people that are continuing with him, walking in his way, becoming like him. Matthew 28. Now, <clears throat> again, as he is under the, uh, the uh, oversight of Paul, the influence of Paul, he's converted. And as I said, he becomes a devoted disciple on this and um, yeah. Paul, in fact, he became such a good disciple, such a useful person, that Paul said, you know, this guy is useful to me. He's helpful. Whatever he was doing for Paul, it was helping spread the gospel. But somehow along the way in this conversation, Onesimus must open up and say to Paul, well, you know, I'm a runaway slave. Really? Where are you from? From, from this guy, Philemon. Philemon? He's a friend of mine. I know him. He's a co-worker with me in Jesus Christ. And now Paul's faced with a, a, a decision. <clears throat> a lot of pastors ought to learn this one. What's his decision? Well, look, we'll keep you right here. I'll write Philemon a letter and tell him, you're okay, you're with me, you're doing good, and don't worry about it. But you see, Paul also was a Roman citizen. 
And legitimately, Philemon owned Onesimus. He was his slave. Now, I'm going to address that just for a moment because you have, if you're, especially your kids in school, well, the Bible teaches people to be slaves. Well, they're slaves. Well, listen, let's talk about it. Critics of the Bible use the fact of slavery, and it seems to justify that we, the Bible seems to justify it, and uh, as a reason why we should reject the Bible. In other words, that's what they tell the young people in school. Well, yet again, did you know they believe in slavery? Now I'm going to talk to you about slavery just very quickly. The only people who are free—how many of you are free men and women? Why? What made you free? Living in the United States of America, that you're Americans? Do you think Americans are free? No. You can begin to get the idea of what's happening in the culture, but yeah, no, we're, we're not. As a matter of fact, if you really want to look at it this way, the um, only people who are free are those who belong to God. And that means that we're the servants of God or slaves of God, if you will. And that's why this book of Philemon is so cool. Because what, what happens in the book here, we begin to see this, this particular relationship between a slave owner and the slave that should be as Christians. Now, let me just say this. The Jews, if you remember when Jesus said to them, who the Son sets free is free indeed, they said, we are free. We're Abraham's seed. And they understood that Abraham's seed belonged to God. And so even though the Roman occupation was there, even though they were under that occupation, they still considered themselves free men. We are free men and women who are in Christ Jesus. Because if we're walking with God, because God is not only our Father, but now we are the children of God, and we are the servants of God. In other words, we're right where God wanted us to be from the very beginning, like Adam and Eve. Were they free? Sure they were. They were the most perfect people in the entire world. They were absolutely free. And unfortunately, they used that freedom to make the wrong decision, to disobey God, to try to be equal with God. And it wound up that we're all in a mess as a result of that to this day. Because they, they set a rule and a curse upon the whole human race. So again, we become, we're free when we are. Now, let me ask you a question. Why are you a slave with respect to God? Does God have a right to you? What's the right? He owns us. That's right. He purchased us with his own blood, his own death on that cross. He provided the salvation for us and a way for eternal life and for the blessings of Abraham in this life, but he did so by coming here 
obeying his father, submitting to him, dying on that cross, paying the penalty for our sins, as I said earlier, and of course, being raised from the dead and then seated at the right hand of the father where he belonged. But now we belong to him, and I love it. And when, you, and, when you, and when you think about the relationship that can come out of being owned by God, it's just absolutely amazing. It really is. So, again, um, repentance and forgiveness. We still have uh, Onesimus here with Paul, but now Roman law says he's his property. But at the same time, Onesimus now has been set free. So let's take a look at what takes place here. And I want to bring with the thought that repentance and forgiveness are the way to resolve offenses and the wrongs that are suffered. See, there's a lot of people out there who still hold on to stuff. You know, it's something that happened in the past, and we're hanging on to it. And it, and it actually is holding on to us. And sometimes it's not as obvious to us as we may think, but sometimes it's, it's undercover. It's a mother that left us, rejected us. A father that left home and then can't take care of us. It's a, it's a young man or boyfriend that rejected us or used us or the other way around, a, a young man that was rejected by a young woman. It's a, a place where we, we had some sort of a separation that made us feel different about ourselves and, and made us that set a root in us, a seed in us, that we were a certain person in a certain way. And we didn't understand that we weren't that because we weren't in Christ and we didn't know who we were in him. We didn't know that he had a new way of life for us and a new, a new way of living and that we were a completely new creation in him. See, that, that was kind of missed. And so we kind of hang into this other thing and it impacts us over the years. Sometimes it doesn't go away for, I, I can tell you now, I've, I've seen things emerge in people after 40, 50 years that literally uh, just... I'll say 50 years, that literally pull them all the way back to their past and the past rejection. Even though they've been believing they've been set free and even though they've been literally set free through deliverance and all of these other things, and even though they've been established in their love, somehow, some way, they can't believe that somebody actually did this to them. It's pretty sad. But it happens. And some of you know what I'm talking about exactly. But sometimes you don't realize you still have to let go of something there. So we remember the words of Jesus from last week, if we do, that it's inevitable that stumbling blocks come. But woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him or if a millstone were hung around his neck and he would throw it into the sea. And then it would cause these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day, and return seven times a day, saying, I repent, forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. 
And he gave us a measure of faith, as we said last week, and we need to use it. We need to exercise it. So, Now, Onesimus, he finally confessed his situation to Paul. You know, I mean, I don't think he said that the first day that he was a runaway slave because, you know, he's somehow working in this uh, for the, has to be working for Caesar because Paul is being held by Caesar and somehow he's in, in this new work environment but somehow he finally owns up. Maybe it's after he saved a while. I'm just speculating now. But someplace he lets Paul know, I'm this runaway slave. You know, that takes something to own up, doesn't it? To confess the truth about your situation and say, here I am, and this, this is who I am, and, you know, I, I'm here. Now, Paul... Now, he's faced with the dilemma, too, isn't he? Because he likes this guy. This guy's useful to him. What is he going to do now? As I said before, he has to make a decision. And he has to make a decision, and it shows you for the, when there's right laws that are, are there, you, unless it's a, a bad law. Now, understand they didn't consider slavery bad. He makes the point that Onesimus, you belong to Phenomenon. Philemon, you belong to him. And you need to get back there and you need to make things right. And I'm going to tell you something else. That, that recommendation by Paul to Onesimus puts Onesimus in a situation now. Not only has he confessed to Paul, but now Paul's telling him he has to go back and own up to Philemon. And I mean back... Philemon's in Colossae, he's in, he's in Rome. That's not an easy thing to do. In the Christian church, oh, we, 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 Jesus forgave us, we're all set, you know. We don't have to reconcile anything. We can just go our way and leave the pieces that we shattered around in churches that are busted up all over the place, and, and they're like tinderboxes, most of the churches. Yeah, it just looks good, but they're just waiting for something or they're under controls, strong control and oversight to the place where they can hardly move. But still, they're, as I said, tinder ready to catch fire because people aren't right with themselves and with God. So now, Paul comes to him. And he says to, and oh, we don't know where he does this, but we do know what he's going to do. And I'm going to make, we'll call it a little bit of eisegesis here, which means I'm, I'm reading into the word what's not there but seems to be obvious. And what's obvious is this, that Philemon, or rather I should say Onesimus, knows that Paul is telling him to do the right thing and that he has to go back and face Philemon and make things right because that's where he belongs. Apparently, he's very happy with Paul where he is. That's a tough decision, isn't it? 
So what takes place now is <clears throat> we read this here. Paul makes a heartfelt appeal to Philemon to receive the reformed. Now, most, now notice this. The reformed and now profitable Onesimus back into his service. Now this is very interesting. In other words, Paul's writing to Philemon. He says, look, I have this guy here. But he's not the same man he used to be. Do you get that? I want to say this. I have this guy I want to send back to you, but he's not the same guy that left you. He's a new man. I'm sending you back a reformed man, a man now that's following God. So, how much is he following God? Well, he's following God to the extent that he's willing to go. He's willing to go. Face up to the situation that's in there. So, again, we read in uh, Philemon 8, verses 8 through 16. This is part of his letter to, uh, Paul's letter to Philemon. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what's proper. What's he referring to? Two things here, his apostolic authority. And the second thing he's referring to here is Jesus' teaching, you have to forgive. So in other words, what he could have said to Philemon is, listen, you have to forgive this guy. There's no, you have no choice. He's coming back and he's repenting. You have to forgive him. But he doesn't do that. And I find this most, most interesting and heartwarming because we read on here. He says, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you since I am such a person as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. Look at the relationship Paul has with this man. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. That, that's how God treats us. We're, we're a child of God. And that's the kind of relationship sometimes we have. I, I thank God for those kind of relationships that I have now with a number of people who look to me as, as a spiritual father. And it's, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But what it's saying is, I feel the love. You know what I'm saying to you? I, I feel the love. It's not, it, it, that's kind of a way of putting it, right? And then he says to him, he could order him, but I appeal to you for my child, O Mrs., whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. And I'll tell you something there. There's something else that happens when a person, you, you lead a person to Christ and you're with that person and you disciple them. And there's a bond and a relationship that grows that will last for eternity. There really is. It's more than just coming to Christ in a meeting, but growing up and being discipled, it changes everything. The, the relationship here is just absolutely phenomenal. And he says, I'm, I'm, I have begotten in my own imprisonment. So he looks at Onesimus as a, ch a, ch a child that he has brought to life. And by the way, he did the same for Philemon. I believe he led uh, him to life. He says, 
who formerly, notice this, was useless to you, verse 11, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person. That is, sending my very heart. I want you to know, I'm sending somebody I love and somebody I really care about to you. This is the guy that ran from you, but he's no longer like this. This is what he is now to me. And he said, I'm sending my very heart, whom I wished to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment of the gospel. But without your consent, he's recognizing the law here, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by my compulsion, but of your own free will. And then look what he says to him here. Now, I, I want to, maybe I'll just stress a little bit in, in here. This is important. You see, what if Paul, what if, rather, uh, Philemon, what if Philemon, Paul just said to him, you have to forgive him, take him back. All right, I'll take them back. You know, I make it, and I use this right away when I, if I have something happen to me, I always make it an act of my will to forgive that person. And I mean, it, it gives me enough freedom if I saw that person the next day, I could smile at them and hug them. But I want to just say this to you. There's a difference when you're doing this because you want to do it, not because you need to do it, because you do need to forgive, otherwise you are unforgiven. And the forgiveness, unforgiveness, or the sin holds you in the respect that you haven't let it go. So I hope that's not too complicated, but it, it, it's pretty simple in my mind anyway, what I just said. So what he is saying now is he doesn't want to send him back without his, by, that in effect, that by compulsion of your own free will. So in other words, by his free will, he was for this, forgive him, right? And he says, for perhaps, he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you could have him back forever. I want you to think about this. You might forgive somebody, but there's something always there, and they're not really your buddy anymore. They're not the person you can trust anymore. You know what they've done once, and you know that they're capable of doing it again. You don't know if they're really changed or they're not changed. You don't know if they're going to cause a problem or not cause a problem. So what happens now is, is there a real freedom there in that relationship? Oh, I am asking you, is there? You know, back when we didn't have cell phones, one of the things we did with an erring husband or wife is we had them make calls back to where they worked or where they were just for the peace of mind of the person who was offended by their behavior, infidelity. Because we had to know where that rascal was or where she was. And the only way we could do it is tr keep track of them, almost like putting a, one of these things on their ankles so you knew exactly where they were going. But see, that's not really trust now, is it? No, not, not at all. 
But why do you do that? Because although you have decided to forgive and make this relationship work, still there's that something there. And Paul understood that. And what he's saying here is very simple. As I kind of read this, is that that's not the way I, I really want it to be between you two folks, between my son, Omesis, and you, my dear friend and brother in Christ, co-worker in Christ. Now, he says this, verse 15, for perhaps it was that we just read that for this reason that he separated from you a while that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me. How much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? And what he's saying is, I want you to think about this. I want you to pray. I want you to come to this place where you're accepting him as you would accept me. And he now is your brother in Christ. And you can rest in that relationship. Isn't that beautiful? Just think about that. That is so cool. I'm not forcing you, even though I could, to forgive. But I'm saying to you, take them back and have this in your heart. Now, something has to happen with Philemon to, Philemon to do that. So I'll just put it this way, some thoughts to ponder. The changed character of Onesis, the once useless, he's a slave, he's become a brother, not only a, a brother, but he's become useful. His conversion experience, the gospel, whatever was preached to him, he had not just a, a, a change of heart, he had a change of person, of character, literally. There was a transformation. That's, by the way, what we're doing in this church, what we're working on. And this is the process that we're talking about, where we can literally work with people if they want to be worked with, and we can put them in a place with God where they can change if they want to, if that's in their heart. And their heart will be open to God or not, and we'll know the difference. But now they can let God change them because we all need change. We all need to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. So, again, he leaves a, 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 he leaves a, a thieving runaway and he returns a brother in Christ. Philemon was wronged. He really was wronged. This, this was his property. This is who he purchased or however the deal went down. This is the person that's working for him. Instead, he steals from him and runs. No. I can, I'm not going to let that go. I can only do that because Conrad already broke it and I got to move on now. I can, I can, you know, I'm not going to let it go. I, can let it, I don't have to let it go. I was wrong. You can see that I was hurt. I have a right to be hurt and stayed hurt. Wow, that's really wonderful, isn't it? That really gets you far. That really solves problems for you, doesn't it? All it builds is bitterness in you when you have that kind of an attitude. All it does is prevent you from loving anybody the way you should. Because you just lose trust for humanity, literally. And just, to, as I said, some thoughts to ponder. 
Remember this. The key words in this letter are receive, forgive, restore. Or forgive or receive and forgive. Those are the key, two key words. And as we go through the seasons of, of life's hurts, unintentional and intentional. By the way, it doesn't matter, does it? I mean, you can unintentionally do something and, or you didn't mean to do, get the result that you want and somebody's hurt and bitter towards you and uh, you know, you, you're wondering what happened even. It's easy to do that. All you gotta do is open your mouth and like the proverb says, he, he who keeps silent is considered wise. And it goes on here to say this, uh, you, uh, as we go on through seasons of light and hurts. From my training and, and my experience in deliverance and in marriage education and in a, a lot of different things over the years, I, I've learned that we all have hidden issues that have a way of boiling up when they're provoked by an event. Events provoke hidden issues. Hidden issues are just this, something that's in there now that happened to you that you're reacting to. Got that? So, I mean, you can't, you can't get away from that. When you see yourself, well, they push my buttons. The fact that you have buttons says you have something that you haven't really dealt with. You couldn't push Jesus' buttons, could you? Not, no buttons. So, after that, of course, uh, Paul... Uh, takes the wrong familiar or continues with him and he makes another appeal to him just to give you a real idea of their relationship. He says in verse uh, 17, if then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to my account. Send me the bill for it. I'll take care of it for him. He steal a thousand dollars. I'll send you a thousand. But I want this to be right with you. If that's the thing that's going to take away the pain, that's what we'll do. And he goes on to say, I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you, that you owe me even your own self as well. I love that. <laughs> That, that was so good. It's just like saying, hey, you know what? I'm the guy that led you to Christ, and if it wasn't for me, you'd be going to hell, and, and you wouldn't have the forgiveness that you have. Just remember that. You owe me. I, I, I just love that. I was looking at that. I got to laugh when I kind of considered it, you know? And he goes on to say, I'll repay you. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. And now look at this. At the same time, this is part of the religion. Prepare a lodging for me. And for I hope that through your prayers I'll be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, greets you, the mark, etc. Having, uh, having said all of this, uh, sending back, he sends Onesimus back to his service. And having said that, a Christian... As a Christian, we have to forgive, but through the exercise of our, clear, of our faith, my experience is when forgiveness is given as an act of love for God, 
in obedience to his will. It's uh, the, the forgiveness is all just made, just a side action of recognizing what Christ has done for me and what Christ has done for you. Paul didn't save me, but Jesus Christ did. I, I can't remember the person who saved me because, well, the closest I can come to it is my late wife. But other than that, I was at a meeting. And while well, I do remember, he was the president of, um, of what was it, Dow Chemical. And I'm going to be speaking at a meeting I was invited to. So I never got to really meet him or know him, but it was my heart that was changed through the Holy Spirit by his words. So I want to end that. And just for the sake of cutting the service down right here, we've, it's been, I've enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have, to be, to be frank with you. But um, and remember all the side effects of uh, unforgiveness. I just want a couple of things on them. With our, uh, where they have side effects such as mind battles. That's the big one. Uncomfortable feeling when you see the person who you didn't forgive or you thought you forgave. And you, you just, these are the things you got to deal with. And so some of the spiritual lessons or takeaways from familiar, and this basically come out of a, uh, a commentary, the importance of sympathy for people who are less fortunate than you or lowly. Uh, the duty of obedience to the law on the part of converts. We're here, we don't, we're not lawbreakers, we keep the law if the law is good. If the law goes against God's law, well, that's different. And uh, like Onesimus, let's turn to his master. And that the Christian brotherhood obliterates all social and class distinctions. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn amongst many brethren. God bless you today, folks.